Welcome to Black Sparrow Radio, KBSR, transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas. You are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hello there. Thank you for joining me today out here on my patio studio. Welcome to Plow and Hose. We are here in our sweet little town of Taylor, Texas. And here we are. We are coming up on the very first day of winter. And of course, Christmas is right around the corner. And I have no idea at all what kind of weather to expect from day to day. It's just nuts. I mean, I I am pretty clueless about things, but this weather just has me all mixed up and messed up, and I really don't even know what day it is anymore because this past week in Central Texas, it felt like late spring or like even early summer, it was so warm, and then it was muggy and humid. But at the same time, it, it was really dreary and overcast and kind of gloomy. And it, it's just that kind of weird time where it looks a whole lot like winter. But then like you go outside and it's just sticky and humid. It's weird and gross. And then this weekend, we got all sorts of rain and we had really crazy winds too. And, you know, last week we went from record setting highs to our first frost. And last weekend I was busy running around covering plants and moving them since the temperatures were getting down to 32 degrees last weekend. And I wanted to try to protect a few of my cold tender plants from the frost. So I rearranged my potted plants and I moved them up under the patio and watered them really well. And then I went out to my garden and I had some sheets. So I threw some sheets on top of my pepper and my tomato plants. Now, the potted plants stayed pretty cozy up here under the patio because I have a little microclimate here and that's where the temperature is different than other parts of the yard. It's just a little bit different than the rest of the backyard. The patio always stays cooler in the summer and also a little bit warmer in the winter time and that's thanks to the shelter from the house and then also our, our, the hard surfaces, like our patio pavers. The house blocks the cold wind, and the hard surfaces, you know, they, when the sun is out, it, it just collects the heat and the warmth from the sun, and it kind of provides like a little level of insulation that you don't get just out in the yard. I really don't know exactly what the difference in temperature was, 
but I do know that it did not get down to 32 degrees under the patio because all of my potted plants were just fine. It did drop down to 32 degrees in the yard because when I went out and walked um, around the yard last week or last Sunday, there was frost on the grass and some of the plants. Even though pepper plants and tomato plants really do not like any sort of cold temperatures, they are actually perennial plants. They're tropical perennials. P perennials are those plants that die when the temperatures get too cool, but then they come back when the weather warms up. And since it's been so warm the past few weeks, my pepper plants still had lots of buds and they were just about to blossom. So I decided to go ahead and cover them and keep my fingers crossed that maybe I might get some more peppers from them. This last growing season, I had some really nice tomato plants too that have been just really very incredibly productive. So I was kind of looking at them and I had this extra sheet. So I just went ahead and covered a couple of the tomato plants that I had out there, even though I was kind of thinking that they wouldn't come back. For the most part, my pepper plants, they partially appreciated my efforts. Some of the outer leaves did not tolerate the cooler temperatures or the frost, and they are crispy and dead. But the rest of the plants still look pretty good. They may not look their best, but they're for sure alive. And that's really all that I wanted to do was main, make sure that they stayed alive. Now, the tomatoes, they are a completely different story and they really did not like the dip in temperatures in spite of being covered. I gotta say that I was a little disappointed but and then I thought about it and I remembered you know they really were really great plants and I just have to be grateful for the fruits that I got from them. Um, it's It was kind of really unusual to have such an extended harvest time. So what a wonderful treat it's been being able to pick some tomatoes this late in December. So they died, but it was still a really good experience and I'm really happy with those plants. So there is something for that. Elsewhere around my garden, I've got little baby lettuce plants that are starting to look pretty good. They're actually not all that little anymore, but they're not quite big enough to um, start harvesting. You know, maybe I can, I can pick some this week, but we'll see. I've also got onions and broccoli in the ground, and they're, they're trying to get established. Um, you know, it's cooler and not as sunny as it normally is, so... We just got to be a little more patient about our plants in the garden this year. And you know, this time of year is really, really super busy. But if you just take a second and wander out in your yard and you find you find like a little bare spot, you know, go ahead and take some seeds out to your garden. If you enjoy fresh greens, we can plant 
Asian greens like bok choy, satsoy, mizuna greens. We can also plant cool season greens. Those include kale, collards, chard, Swiss chard. And of course we can plant lettuces and radishes and spinach too. While I was out at the store recently, I noticed some beautiful poinsettias set up at the front of the store. And I thought about picking up a couple to put by my fireplace just to, you know, kind of cheer it up, make it look a little more festive. At the time, though, I had my shopping list in my mind and I really didn't want to forget anything on it. So I thought about looping back after I was done getting the things I needed to, you know, just go check them out, see how they looked. But I totally forgot about the poinsettias. But it's okay, because I did pick up a small one. Oh, I don't know, two weeks ago, I guess. And I have that on my desk at work. So I did get a nice poinsettia this year. Poinsettias are euphorbias, and they belong to the Spurge family, which is just a super huge plant family, and there are thousands of Spurge cousins all over the world. Some look like cacti or succulents, and then some of them are more tropical looking and very, very leafy. But all of these Spurge cousins have a couple things in common. They have, they all have poisonous milky white sap in the stems, and they have really unusual and unique floral features. Poinsettias come in several different colors, but the most popular are red, white, and pink. But they also come in yellow and kind of a peach color, and then any sort of number marble and speckled combinations of those colors. Personally, I am partial to just that beautiful, classic, bright poinsettia red. Poinsettias are indigenous to Central America and they grow wild in Southern Mexico. Poinsettias were first brought to the United States in 1822 eight by a guy named Joel Roberts Poinsett and he happened to be the very first U.S. ambassador to Mexico so we have ambassador Poinsett to thank for bringing poinsettias to the United States. Americans have been crazy for poinsettias ever since and they are actually the very best-selling potted plant in the United States and also Canada. Poinsettias contribute more than $250 million into the economy every single year. And that is just really amazing to me that they would be able to generate that sort of... Um, money every single year. And of course they are by far the most popular Christmas plant. I did mention that all members of the Spurge family have milky sap in their leaves and stems. And you might've heard that poinsettias are poisonous, but they really aren't poisonous to humans. You 
don't want to eat them because you could probably end up with an upset stomach if you ate the leaves, but they aren't toxic to humans. They are mildly toxic to pets, so keep them away from your animals. The sap can be irritating to your skin, so wash your hands if you get any sap on them. I mean, that's a, that's a good practice anyway. When in doubt, wash your hands. Just wash them. Poinsettias are actually small trees, and in tropical climates, like in southern Mexico, they are also treated like landscaping shrubs, and they can grow up to like 10 feet tall. And I think that is super cool. I wish that they would grow that tall here in Taylor, but they don't. They don't tolerate our cold weather outside either at all. The parts of poinsettias that turn red are actually leaves called bracts, B-R-A-C-T-S. And the flowers aren't, you know, the red parts aren't the flower petals. Those are completely different. The flowers are the little golden buds in the center. I had a friend who had some um, poinsettias planted in her front yard here in Taylor those poinsettias were facing south but she was able to keep them alive for uh, quite a few years but they never turned that beautiful red again they looked really nice as leafy foliage but that was about all she got here in central texas and basically all uh, all the other parts of the united states to get that nice showy color, poinsettias have to be light manipulated in order to get their flowers to set buds. Poinsettias are short day plants and that means they don't want a whole lot of light. Like you need to provide lots and lots of darkness for like 15 hours of complete darkness every day. But they also want some sunlight, like eight hours a day. So that means you really got to put them, you got to find them a couple of spots and put them in a spot that stays really dark, but then move into a sunnier spot for eight hours. And I don't know, it seems like a lot of work, especially considering that you have to do this for 10 weeks. I remember my mom trying to get hers to rebloom and she worked really hard to get them to turn red, but I don't remember them turning like solid red like we get at the stores. They only kind of turned a little bit red. So they were still kind of green looking too. I'm sure that she was probably disappointed after spending an entire year trying to keep those suckers alive, but say la vie. You know, if you aren't up to the challenge, I, I definitely think that it's worthwhile for you to try to um, get your poinsettias to come back. Most of us just treat them like annual houseplants and get new ones every year. I figured I'll let the greenhouses do all the work and then I can treat myself to some lovely brand new poinsettia plants. I figure it's really very similar to buying yourself a flower bouquet. 
Just do it. That's cool. Treat yourself. You deserve it. Go get you a poinsettia. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming from our little station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you are out on the internet, I hope you'll go find the Plow and Hose Facebook page. And I also have Instagram now. Go out there and like it and share it with all your gardening friends or head over to where you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Plow and Host podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause and rewind my show whenever you want, please go download some episodes, listen to them, leave a nice review. It's really super quick. It doesn't take long at all. This is going to help other people that we don't know find the show and it lets folks know that Pano's is a pretty good show. So if you've already left a review, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. If you haven't, that can be your Christmas gift to me is to leave me a podcast review. Okay, let's get back to poinsettias. To keep your poinsettias in good shape throughout the holidays, put put them near a sunny window and water them just whenever the surface feels dry to the touch. They are pretty sensitive to soil moisture, so you're going to want to check them often, probably more often than your other house plants. Don't overwater them. And don't let them sit in excess water. When you go to water them, take off that pretty plastic wrapper off and then water them in the sink and then let them drain all the way through before you put the wrapper back on. Poinsettias don't like cold weather at all. So you don't want to put them anywhere where they could possibly get below 65 degrees. Now, I do love those bright, beautiful, rich red poinsettias. And they are really the ultimate Christmas flower. But you know, they aren't the only thing blooming right now. Some of us have been anxiously awaiting for the Christmas cactus to bloom. Christmas cacti and their siblings, Thanksgiving cactus and Easter cactus, they are all members of the Schlumbergerer plant family. Even though they don't really look like cacti, because they aren't like all stiff and spiky and spiny like the typical desert cactus, trust me, they are legit cacti. These holiday cacti, I'm going to call them that, they form drapey stems and set really unusual flowers that only tend to bloom during the holidays. I have two plants that I thought 
when I bought them were Christmas cacti. Um, one of them is actually a Thanksgiving cactus, but it blooms closer to Christmas than Thanksgiving. And then the other one is definitely this little weirdo, and it blooms way after Valentine's Day. So I call it my President's Day cactus. I'm not sure what is going on with it because the first year that I had it, it bloomed on Christmas and then it never bloomed on Christmas again. It's such a weird little plant, but I like it. Puts out little real hot pink flowers. It's really, really pretty. Anyway, of all of these holiday cacti, they all form drapey stems and the stems look like th kind of thick, flat leaves that are strung from end to end, like you lined them all up and then you threaded them on some, on a, on a, like a necklace or something. So the top of one leaf connects to the bottom of the next and so on and so on, kind of like a chain. Those leaves are actually pads that are joined together and they grow very, very similar to like nopal cacti, which um, really the only difference is they have um, a different leaf structure. They kind of form pads, you know, they grow pads at the, at the ends and then they just keep getting longer and longer, like a big long chain of cacti pads. Both cactus plants, the flower buds form on areolas at the joints and at the tips of stems. Areolas are small bumps on cacti that either form flowers or spines. And areolas are not found on any other plants. They're only found on cacti. Thanksgiving and Christmas cactus are really very, very similar. They, to me, they could be practically identical. Their leaf pads are pretty similar, and, but they do put out um, a slightly different shaped flower. Thanksgiving cactus pads have, um, have more defined edges. They have pointy little claws along the side. Christmas cactus pads have little tips on their sides, but they aren't sharp. They don't have like those little scary claw-like protrusions. The tips are more rounded and they're less distinct. And I'm looking at a little hand drawing of the difference between Thanksgiving and Christmas cacti pads. And the Thanksgiving cactus drawing has very pointy notches along the side. The Christmas cactus has the exact same shape of the pad, but the notches are smoother and they're more like little bloops. Easter cactus pads are also similar in shape, but they're much more rounded. So Thanksgiving have pointy notches, Christmas noticeable notches, and then Easter no notches at all. 
These Schlumbergerer cacti are short day plants, just like poinsettias. So in order for them to bloom, they need less daylight and more darkness. So if you're really intent on having your cactus bloom on a particular holiday, you're gonna have to manipulate and reduce the light exposure. These plants want to have anywhere from 12 to 24 hours of darkness, and they also want cool temperatures, and they want both of these things for six whole weeks in order to set buds for whatever day you want them to bloom. So six weeks before Thanksgiving, move your cactus to a cool, dark spot. If it's a Christmas cactus, move it to a cool, dark spot, kind of around Veterans Day. Easter cactus, they gotta be different. They have a different kind of starburst looking flower and they want eight to 12 weeks of cool darkness. I gotta say, I never know when Easter is going to be. I just don't pay attention to it that much. I always gotta like go look at the calendar and find out when it is because it's just different every year. So if you have an Easter cactus and you want to force it to bloom on Easter, you're on your own, good luck. I'm not gonna be able to help you figure out uh, when to manipulate the light for your Easter cactus. At least I'm not gonna be able to help you with that today. Thanksgiving and Christmas cactus can actually bloom again in the spring. They just won't have as many flowers as the um, winter bloom to encourage it to bloom in the springtime just start the whole six week short day conditioning again and you'll probably get some flowers in the spring some other ideas to help you force your holiday cactus to bloom remember that even though they are cacti they're actually tropical plants and they're much more sensitive to temperature and humidity than the desert cacti. During our cooler fall and winter temperatures, we will turn our heaters on to keep our house comfortable for us. Our indoor houseplants really love that. They enjoy the consistent warmth from the central heat and air, but that warm air is also dry it's very drying so if you if your skin starts getting itchy or your lips start to dry out when the heaters are turned on that's because there is less moisture in the air and that dry air is really dehydrating and it's uncomfortable uncomfortable for like our lips and our eyes and our skin and it's really easy for us to just like grab some lip balm or squirt some eye drops in or um, rub on some lotion. You know, we can drink a glass of water to help alleviate the, the discomfort too. But indoor holiday cacti, they can't. They can't do that. They're not that smart. They're not that mobile. So we have to help them. When they get dry and uncomfortable like that, their response is to start dropping flower buds. So you could 
missed your holiday cacti um, to help maintain um, a moist environment for them. Um, also check the soil moisture more often. Holiday cacti will start to shrivel their leaves if they don't get enough water. These cacti, they also don't like soggy roots either, so be careful not to overwater them. Easter cacti is a lot more picky about having soggy roots. If they have soggy roots, they're going to suffer and they may die. So just um, let them drain well when you um, water them. Holiday cacti plants really don't like to be moved either. So if you buy a holiday cactus loaded with buds, just understand that they're probably going to drop some flowers as soon as you get home. That's just the way they are. Some plants are brats. And that's what they do. If you pay attention to your holiday cactus, you might notice that those flower buds will always turn towards the light. If you move it after it puts on those buds, the buds will respond and turn towards the light. If you keep moving it though, eventually the flowers will fall off because they don't like to keep twisting and turning towards the light. Just find a spot with normal indirect light, and then don't move it. Poinsettias and holiday cacti are pretty common winter blooming houseplants, but there are a few other types of flowers that you can have during the darker days of winter. You can force bloom certain types of bulbs. The most common types of force bulbs are hyacinth, Amaryllis and paper whites. Amaryllis are tropical bulbs that are native to uh, South Africa. They look a bit like a lily since they put out a really large trumpet shaped flower on these tall stems. Their leaves are really thick and strappy, but they don't come out until after the flower stalk pops up and the plant starts to bloom. Amaryllis are big and bold and beautiful and they come in red and pink and white and then all kinds of stripy variations of these three colors. Paper whites are tiny flowering bulbs that are related to yellow daffodils and they're part of the Narcissus family. They look like miniature solid white daffodils but unlike daffodils, they have a very strong and distinct fragrance. Paper whites naturally produce a scent chemical called indole, which you either love the smell or you hate it. So the main purpose of all flower fragrances is to attract pollinators. Indole is no difference. It's found in flowers like gardenias, jasmine, tuberose, and orange blossom. It has a super, super, super sweet scent that is musky and heavy and rich. 
everyone is different and we all have different scent receptors in our noses. To some people, indole smells incredible. It smells beautiful and it smells decadent. To others, indole smells like death. It smells like decay. And I am one of those people who cannot stand the smell of paper whites or pear or orange blossoms. I think they smell absolutely disgusting to me. If there is a lot of indole in the air, it will make me want to vomit. I think it just smells so awful. I think it's disgusting. It's just one of the worst odors to me. But all of my scent issues aside, paper whites and the much less stinky amaryllis bulbs are the easiest flower bulbs to force bloom inside since they don't require chilling. Lots and lots of spring bloom um, bulbs, they need a certain amount of consistent cold temperatures in order to bloom. This is called chill time. In cooler climates, these bulbs do great because they can be planted outside in the early fall and then they spend all winter in the ground. And when it's cold and then they bloom in the spring. Here in Central Texas, it's really hard to naturally achieve um, that kind of chill time that a lot of these bulbs need to bloom. It just doesn't stay cold enough outside. Um, some folks will put their um, special bulbs in the refrigerator to help obtain chill time, but paper whites and amaryllis don't require chill time in order to bloom. And you can get them to bloom quite easily inside during the winter. If you get a kit from the store, they may come with like a lightweight soil medium. Just follow the instructions. If you get loose bulbs, you can still get them to bloom without soil. To get them to bloom, just select a container that is three or four inches deep and it has a solid bottom, but no drain holes. Add some gravel or other like decorative marbles or beads to your container. An inch or two is good. And then you place your bulb with the point end up, put that on top of the rocks and then cover it with a little more gravel. You just want to support the bulbs. Then you add water to your container and fill it just to the bottom of the bulb. You want it in contact with the water, but you don't want it submerged because that will cause it to rot. And then check the water level every day and watch for it to root. When they get roots, move them to a sunny window. In about a month, your bulb will start to put on a flower stalk and soon it will bloom. It's really cool. The paper whites will bloom more quickly than the larger amaryllis, but you definitely will have blooms in eight or nine weeks. You can even try to save the bulbs and force them again, but you'll have to replenish their food stores. And this is a little tricky to do indoors, but you can always try to plant your spent bulbs in the yard for next year. If conditions are right, there's a good chance that they will come back. You just never know. They could come back. If you don't want to mess with planting them, just put them in your compost pile when they're done blooming. 
they'll break down out there. Okay, friends. Well, that's all I have for you today. Thank you for joining me again on this show, Plow and Hose. I hope you have an amazing week. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.